Welcome. You're listening to sermons and talks from Providence Church in Brisbane. We believe that God speaks to us through His Word, the Bible. So we pray that as you listen, you'll be encouraged and challenged to love Jesus and live for Him. For more information about Providence Church, please visit our website, www.providencechurch.com. 1 Peter 2, 4 to 10. As you come to Him, the living stone, rejected by humans but chosen by God and precious to Him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For in Scripture it says, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Now to you who believe, this stone is precious. But to those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone that causes people to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the message, which is also what they were destined for. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your word that you do speak to us through it and you, 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 you show us who you are and how we're called to live. And so I pray now, Lord, that you will um, bring, give, us, give us open ears and open hearts to receive it and that your spirit will convict our hearts uh, to, to live for you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Uh, often when we think of of words, when, when you hear a word, you will naturally associate with a meaning or image that's shaped by our experiences of it, right? Uh, advertisers know the power of words and experiences and feelings, and what they do, they, they try really hard marketing, they try really hard to create brands and slogans that will influence how you see their company and products. So I was thinking about slogans, I was thinking about logos, I was thinking about brands. If I said the word Nike to you, what do you think of? When I think of the word Nike, I think of uh, Air Jordans, I think of Just Do It, the slogan. I think of the, this, this tick. Apparently, it's called a swoosh, if you don't know that. A swoosh, I don't know where that word came from. I think they created the word, a swoosh. Uh, I think of gym rats and, you know, whatever, Nike-branded threads that they're wearing. Uh, I think of that. When you think of, say, Apple, what do you think of when you hear the word Apple? I mean, of course, there's a logo there, but maybe someone trendy. You think of iPhones, you think of innovative, someone who cares really about their aesthetics. Uh, Disney, Mickey Mouse, happiest place on earth, once upon a time, you know, in, innocent and traditional values, now it's all, you know, people say woke garbage, that's what they think of when they think of Disney. McDonald's, I always think of McDonald's, uh, I always think of what that represents to me, um, but you know, a good time really, that's what McDonald's is all about. We attach to these images, right, these feelings, even these words, these, these brands, uh, we attach these images and experiences to them. And it makes me wonder, what does the, the non-church girl, the person outside uh, of the church, what do they think of when they hear the word church? My friend who doesn't go to church, what images or word associations are conjured up in their mind when you tell them that you go to church on Sundays? I'm sure that if you were asked someone on the street, you'll hear a range of different responses. Some will say a traditional building, stained glass windows, solemn services, maybe you know, priests wearing their dog collars, clerical collars they're called, you know, candles, statues of Marys. 
Uh, others will say gospel choirs, lots of singing. Some, some churches like concert experiences, loud music, bright lights, smoke machines. Others think of the televangelists on TV, the, the, the rich, uh, you know, the, the, the pastor who evades taxes and buys private jets. Others think of the fundamentalists, the, 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 the one that's you know, protest, protesting with picket fence signs all the time, those on the internet condemning everything as demonic, anti-everything in culture from pop music to technology to medicine, known more for what they're against more than what they're for. In today's postmodern world, the church instantly, you hear the word church and it instantly conjures up so many different images for people based on their experiences, what they see in the media, and what they think church is about. But today's question really is, what is the church? What is the church according to the Bible? How are we displaying what church is to the world around us? If you're, if you're not a Christian today, I'm glad you're here, because I'm hoping you'll come to see the heart and truth of who we are as the church and I, and I hope it will help you see what the church is truly about. And in this passage in, in 1 Peter, I want to show you, uh, us, the church, who is at the center of the church. That's the first thing I want to show you. I want to show you also, secondly, who the church is made up of. And thirdly, why the church, church exists. Right here within this short passage in 1 Peter chapter 2. In doing so, I hope to give you a better and more accurate biblical image and understanding of what church truly is. Earlier in this letter, so far we've had uh, a lot of Peter using different ways of describing the Christian, uh, describing God's people. He calls us in chapter 1, elect exiles. We're chosen exiles uh, at the start of the letter. People who are chosen by God, foreigners in this world. That we're not uh, in this world, we're, not, we're, we're in this world but not of this world. Uh, at times, our lives will stand out. It's not because we're weirdos or anything. Some, sometimes we might be. But it being odd isn't what Peter's talking about. He's not also talking about standing out as if, you know, being mainstream is, is uncool or anything like that. It's not that type of standing out either. What makes us different in the world is that we live for someone greater. And as we think about the church, we begin with that. Christians gathered together, a community of believers centered upon Jesus. He is the one we live for. And that's where our passage points us to in our first point, who the church is built on. Let's read again from verse 4 to 5. As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. There we have Jesus being referred to as a living stone. He's living because we know death did not finish him. He had victory over death. That's Jesus' resurrection. He lives. He's the living stone. Verse 6, we read this as well. I'll just pop over to verse 6. It says, For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. That's an Old Testament reference from uh, the book of Isaiah, chapter 28 in the Old Testament. Peter is saying that it was prophesied long ago that the people of God will be built upon a foundation stone, a cornerstone, and we've seen him. We know him. It's Jesus. He's the living stone. Really, to understand this metaphor, though, this image that Peter gives us is that we have to understand in ancient times, the cornerstone of a building structure was like the foundation piece of, of a building, right? Think of, a, think of a Jenga tower. If you, build, if you ever played Jenga, you build on top of it. You know, if you don't have a good foundation, it's all going to crash. When ancient builders built great structures and built great buildings in the ancient world, the cornerstone would have to be the best stone out of the quarry. You know, straight lines, right angles, the right cornerstone. It sets the right direction for the building. God has made Jesus that cornerstone, the one who was chosen and precious to him. He's planned it long ago. 
Jesus would be rejected by men, crucified on the cross, given over to death in our place for our sin, for our disobedience, for our rejection of God, but then be raised again on the third day. He is risen. He's alive, the living cornerstone. And not only does he live, he gives life to other stones, right? So there's this reference to other living stones. Uh, Verse 5, we read that. You like living stones are being built up. But go back to chapter 1, verse 3, and what does it say? It says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, His great mercy He has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. We have a Savior who defeats the very thing that comes for all of us, death. Death comes for all. No one defeats death, but Jesus has. Jesus does. And He is living. And so for us, as we come to Jesus in faith, we have that new birth. We are now living stones. For us who trust and put our faith in Him, we have life. He gives us what death won't rob us of. Life, life eternal. And see, that's where the Christian life starts, faith in Him. And so when a community of Christians who are living stones gather, we are the church. We're unified around Jesus. You know, it's not something else that we have a common love for. A lot of people here, they love k-pop music we're not uniting around k-pop music we're not uniting around you know wild nights of playing board games or anything like that that what unites us is our savior jesus who promises us life he's our living hope and so we take these images of the of the church in the bible and you'll hear words like the church is the bride of jesus christ we're the family of believers he's our shepherd we're we're, the, we're his flock that he cares for and he leads we hear all this imagery where the body of christ he's the head And here in 1 Peter, we're hearing we're a spiritual building. We're a building built on the cornerstone of Jesus, the living stone. Each of these images, they repeat the same truth, don't they? The church is centered upon Jesus. What's interesting about these references uh, to stones and foundations is that Peter's writing this. And the apostle, he's the apostle who penned this letter to the early church. His name means rock. And so you have this tradition that you might have heard of where some, namely the Catholic church, believe it was upon Peter that the church was built. He's the rock. And so if you know anything about the Catholic Church, popes have been elected in the line of Peter because he was named the rock. But Peter himself here never gives himself that level of status or authority. Here in chapter 2, he's quite clear who the rock is, who the cornerstone is. Again, in, in, in chapter 4 of Acts, Acts chapter 4, I've got on the screen, 1, 11 to 12, uh, he makes that claim. Jesus, he's talking about Jesus here. He's the, the stone you build is rejected, which has become the cornerstone. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. Jesus is the cornerstone. He's the rock, the living stone that all other stones like himself are built upon. You see, Christians believe the foundation of the church is a person, the person of Jesus and his work, the one that we gather around, the one who's at the center of it all. And here's something I think we need to be alert and discerning about. If someone tells you their church is on about anything else other than Jesus, I I think we should be a little concerned. If you ask a friend, hey, what's your church about? And they say their church is all about helping the poor and doing social justice. Yeah, that's good and all. That's great, awesome, that's needed. But that's not a church, that's a charity. That's a social justice organization. Good things for churches to do. But is that what the church is primarily about? Or you hear someone, someone say church is on about creating a great experience for everyone to feel welcome and loved. Great. I'm glad that's your church. But that's not really, it, it's, it's helpful, but is that what it's primarily about? If it's primarily not about Jesus, is it the church? Is it the church that God is building? 
Because the Bible says Jesus is the cornerstone. And that God is building his, his church upon Jesus, the one who is living, the one who gives life. Now that's point one, who the church is built on. But secondly, who is the church made up of? We'll go to verse 5 again. You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. We whose, whose lives are built upon Jesus, who are described here as a holy priesthood, who offer spiritual sacrifices, who, who offer their very lives to God, we, we, we make up the church. Christians who trust and live for Jesus. It's not rocket science, is it? We're the living stones. Together, we're being made into a spiritual house. Peter does this thing here. He's using very specific language and imagery, I think, because in the Old Testament, you know, the, the people of God, they built a temple for God in Jerusalem. It was a center of worship. It was taught that there, that's where God's house, His presence, His power, that's where it dwelt in this physical venue, a building made up of massive stones. And it was there in the temple the people of God longed to be. They longed for this, uh, to be in the temple. That was their hope. They would do pilgrimages to this temple. That's where they gathered. Yet what we've done sometimes is that we often mistake the church to be like a temple, the building. So think, people think of the church as the building, you know, made up of stone or wood or arches, you know, a cross on the wall. It has to be, if it has a cross on the wall, it must be a church, right? That sort of idea. Peter isn't talking about a new temple in terms of a structure, though, is he? He's not talking about physical stones. He's talking about you and I, the living stones. Builders being built up to be a spiritual house. You see, when you say you're going to church, you're not going to the Sunnybank Community Center. You go on to church, you're going to be gathered with God's people. There's nothing special about this venue, if you haven't noticed. <laughs> it is an old bowls club, City Council Hall now, it hasn't been magically blessed, okay? I didn't do any holy water around the building. Like, nothing like that, right? The spiritual house is, a, is not a physical building. It's a body of believers. In fact, to God, we're the building project. If you've been around churches uh, long enough, often churches do building projects where they fundraise, they buy or build their own physical building. And, and you often hear that that's the building project. But for Peter here, the building project isn't a physical building. We're the, we're the building project to God. We're not a new temple. It's building up of his people for those who trust and accept Jesus. I don't want us to just stop there, though, because I think there are other metaphors that Peter uses here. God wants us to be empowered by who we are as a church and how that empowers us to love him and love others and how to stand firm in our faith. And so here in verse 5, it says we're being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood as well. Later on in verse 9, you have your Bibles should be following along there, but you are a chosen people a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession. Chosen people, royal priesthood, holy nation, special possession. I want us to really consider the gravity of this statement Peter is making to you and I as a church. You and I, we're treasured by God. We have a special place in God's house, in his family. We've done nothing to earn it. We who were once rebels and enemies of God, but in His love and His grace and His mercy, He chose us, He saved us, and brings us into a relationship with Himself through Christ. See, across all of history and every generation, you and I today get to experience and be set apart to be God's people on earth. Do we really understand the, 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 the gravity of that privilege? Amongst the billions of people on this planet, you have the privilege of knowing God personally. 
Peter wants us to feel the weight of that in this big picture of history in our universe. I mean, take the, the idea of being a priesthood. That's what he calls you and I. When you think about priests in the Bible, their role was to mediate between God and people. They had a direct connection with God. They prayed for others. They walked with others through sin. They cared and, uh, they cared and were on about loving God's people. That was the priesthood in the Old Testament. They knew God personally, represented God to others. Do you see now that's our privilege? You know, when many think God is, is distant and not accessible, why would God even bother with us? He's, so, he's such a big God and we're such small, small human beings. But God says here, no, you're a priest. You can enter into my presence. You can approach me. People often think me as a pastor, uh, I have some sort of special connection to God. People have asked me to pray um, for them in a way that I have some sort of more powerful prayer than the person next to them. But that's not really right, is it? It's not true. And often, uh, I mean, I think the confusion is often uh, the Catholic Church, their leaders are called priests. And, and so we all, all of a sudden think priests are reserved for them only, that name. But if we read this correctly, if you're a Christian, you're part of the holy royal priesthood. You've been given that status by our King Jesus. Yes, I, I, I am the pastor of the church. I've been given uh, uh, this title. It's my full-time role. But I'm just as much of a priest as anyone else here. My prayers are not more powerful than the person next to you. I'm a sheep as well, part of God's flock that follow our good and great shepherd. Are you following where I'm going with this? If you're a priest, doesn't that give you a whole other level of meaning to who you are? You too are doing ministry when, we, when you follow Christ. In my early years as a Christian, when I first understood this truth, it really challenged me. We have these expe expectations of pastors and leaders in churches and ministry workers, and they'll do all the things we don't have to, all the things we don't want to. What might you expect of the pastor or church leader, not of yourself? I mean, you know, we arriving on time on a Sunday morning. <laughs> Uh, showing up each Sunday. We expect that, don't we? Welcoming new people, doing hospitality, care, love, and prayer. If you're a Christian, you're part of the priesthood. That's your privilege too. You have access to God. You're called to love Him and love others. That's your role as much as it is any other Christian, let alone the leaders in the church. Those things aren't just reserved for trained pastors and church leaders. That's your role too. You're part of the priesthood. Who is the church? It's the people that make up, that, that are living out their faith, pointing others to God through their love and actions because Jesus is their cornerstone. He used those other terms too, your holy nation. Earlier in chapter 1, verse 16, uh, we read it last week. Peter writes, be holy as God is holy, I am holy, it says. That whole idea is to be set apart, not just uh, different to the world around, but set apart to live for God, for faith, in faith. He uses the term to God's special possession. And all these terms, are what Peter's doing is he's using references from the scriptures from the Old Testament that were said long ago about Israel, about God's people. He wants the listener to consider the God of promise, uh, the God of covenant from the Old Testament. He's the, the same God from the old to the new. And so you've got these references from Exodus and Isaiah and Hosea. I don't have it on the screen for you, but you can look it up. And, and you and I who aren't from Israel, we get these titles now too. We get to be included in the promise of salvation to his people. He's making this declaration here, the New Testament church, us, those who follow Jesus, we're treasured and we're loved as much as the Old Testament people of Israel. We, through Christ, share in his honor. We have a relationship with the mighty, powerful God. We've been saved by grace and mercy, brought into God's family. Who makes up the church? 
people like you and I, who trust in Jesus as our cornerstone, who, who, who are living out our identity, being God's people, a spiritual house, his priesthood, his holy nation. Verse 10 sums it up really well. It says, once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. The church is made up of the people of God. But thirdly, then what then does the church exist for? Going back to verse 9 again, it says, but you are a chosen, I don't know if I have it on the screen, you are a chosen people, I think the next one, sorry. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that, and I highlighted here, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. What does the church exist for? To declare the praises of our God. To bring his name to the world around us. To bring more and more people out of darkness into his wonderful light like we've experienced too. You know, for us to do this as a community, though, doesn't it start with us as individuals? I've got to ask you first, you know, is Jesus the cornerstone of your life? Are you living with Jesus as your cornerstone? When we live with him, we're declaring the praises of God in our lives. When Christians say we put our faith in Jesus, when we call him our Lord and Savior, it means we made him the cornerstone of our lives, our foundation. The issue I'm concerned with is that Christians in church might say, I believe in Jesus with their lips, but their lives are built on something else, uh, some other functional cornerstone. Uh, think, of, think of all the, the other stones being built on top of, of your life. What, what, is, what is your life being built on? What direction and ambitions do you have in life? When we're honest with ourselves, we'll see the cornerstone of our lives often built upon shaky foundations, not Jesus. If your life is riddled with anxiety and stress and busyness and hecticness and you're always worried, worried about money or financial security, or you're constantly seeking that next promotion, extra studies, get more status and success, maybe your cornerstone isn't Jesus. Maybe it's security and success. Is that directing and driving everything you do? Or if your life is about comfort and pleasure and doing everything you have so you can have more of that, isn't that your cornerstone in life? Your cornerstone sets the, sets the direction. It sets the course of the building. What is it in your life that if you were to lose, your whole world would crumble? Isn't that our functional cornerstone? We're building stones on these functional cornerstones, hoping they'll be able to hold the weight of our joy and purpose in life. But will they? There's a story that Jesus tells in Matthew chapter 7 to the crowds where he's talking about how, we, how when we build on Jesus and his words, we're building our house on the rock. But when we build on anything else, we're building on sand. The rain comes, floods will hit, the winds will blow, and the house comes crashing down. Take the stones of your life, build them on the cornerstone of Jesus. He's the living stone. He's the cornerstone that allows us to stand firm in faith even when the pressures and the floods and the winds and the waves come. When life is hard, when you continue to feel that financial insecurity, when you feel purposeless in your, purposelessness in your job, when relationships break down, when health issues and sickness arise, Jesus, have Jesus as your cornerstone. Because those things will come, I guarantee you. The wind, the rains, the floods, they'll come. You'll feel vulnerable. Your life will get shaken up. But you'll have an anchor for your soul. Jesus, who gives us a greater security, a greater joy and status in God, he's our living hope. The one who shows us death itself has no power over us. Now imagine, imagine that. And imagine the type of testimony to the people around you. Peter says, we're the church declaring the praises of him who called us out of darkness and into his wonderful light. We're living in the light now. 
When you live with Jesus as your cornerstone, the way you speak, act, make decisions, in the way you respond to hardships, uh, you're declaring something about His greatness, aren't you? When you witness to the watching world around you that in riches or in poverty, in sickness or in health, for better or for worse, that you have a Savior who has been giving you purpose, joy, contentment, satisfaction, security, freedom, the gift of eternal life itself, aren't you declaring the praises of His name above any other functional cornerstone? This is what you and I exist to do in our lives as the people of God, as the church. We're called to make Jesus known, to praise His name and bring others also out of darkness into His wonderful light through the way we, we live. So interesting, a, a few years ago, surveys were done uh, some years ago by McCrindle Research, and they discovered that the most likely way for people to give Christianity a go, to hear it out, what made it most attractive to them was hearing about the, the, the average Australian person, the, you know, their friend, seeing their friend or their family members live out the Christian life. It's as simple as that. They were willing to give it a go. The things that deterred them was hearing about celebrities sharing their, you know, their faith in the media, people standing on soapboxes, you know, telling them that they're going to go to hell. That's not going to help. But it was through the friendships and people who had integrity and lived out their faith, what they believed. Imagine that. Just being a Christian in your everyday life. That's what it looks like to declare the praises of His name. People are willing to explore Christianity, not because we've debated with them and we, we won an argument, but because we actually lived it as we shared it to them in love. Doesn't the gospel bear so much more weight? Isn't it so much more persuasive when there are believers like you and I, the church, who, are, who have Jesus as their cornerstone? Friends, you and I, we're, the, we're, we're witnessing Christ to the people around us. When they know that you're a Christian, they're watching your life. Too often as Christians, we depend on the, the collective church to do the work of being the witness. We'll say, oh, I can live my compromised life. I can blend in with the culture. As long as they come to church, they might hear a good sermon. They'll be convinced of Jesus. Then. I'll let church do all the work. But you're, you're a living stone as well. We can't expect Christmas or Easter to be the main event. We can't palm off the responsibility to the pastor in our church, hoping he'll convince your friend as convincing as he might be. But what if we took the words of Peter, what he's saying here, seriously, you and I, the church, living stones, whether we're here on a Sunday, whether we're drinking coffee at a cafe with friends, guess what the evangelistic event is? It's you. It's your life on display, your integrity as a Christian. It's your love for those around you. You actively doing good for the sake of the gospel, for the love of your neighbor. You are the evangelistic event. You're the church, the one called to witness God, to declare His praises. You're their experience of Christianity and Jesus in the way that you love them, in the way that you speak, in your integrity, in your decision-making, the actions you do. They get to meet Jesus through you. It starts with you and I as individuals. The royal priesthood representing Him in our daily lives. But we also need to see that we need the church too. We're part of a holy nation, a royal priesthood. It's through loving one another, the world will see that we're Christ's disciples. Jesus says that himself in John 13. We are God's people. We're on mission together. When we, when we bring our friends and family to meet our church family and they witness Christians living out their faith, Christians practicing love and hospitality to one another and to the non-believer, that's where God is made visible. That's where his name is being praised. His salvation declared, proclaimed through our collective and corporate worship. 
You see, our commitment and love for our church is God's plan A for salvation for those around us so others can come to know Him too. Let's invite them to church too. Let's invite them to meet our, our church friends outside, whether it's on the you know, futsal fields or in, in, in our local dance clubs or wherever you go on, on the weekend. Bring them along. Bring them along to meet your Christian friends. Listen to their stories. Invite them along so they can see God's church living out a, a different life to the secular world around them, where they can see a community of people who have Jesus as their cornerstone in life. Friends, we exist as a church to declare the praises of our God who brought us out of darkness and into his wonderful light. Wouldn't it be great if they heard that message too and they were walking in the light with us? Where did, I, where did I start from? First point, Jesus is the cornerstone of the church. That's what we're, we're built upon. We are the ones who make up the church, Christians who are living out their faith, who are the royal priesthood, a special possession, a holy nation. What do we exist for? To declare his praises to the world around us. Imagine if that image of church was what people thought about when they heard the word church. I mean, the world has... has has fed so many false images of the church to our friends around us. They have no real idea what church actually is meant to be anymore. But providence, will we represent what the church is actually about? Will we, will we show them that we're built upon Jesus, that we're, we're a people who are loving one another, that we want to declare his praises to the world? It's really our vision, isn't it? Loving Jesus, loving each other, and loving our world. Let's impress that image of church to those around us through the way we've been called to live as God's people with Jesus as our cornerstone. Let's pray for that now. Heavenly Father, we do thank you that in Christ we have life, that we are now been, we've been now made living stones. We are now the spiritual house being built up on Jesus, our cornerstone. I pray, Lord, that you'll help us, firstly, as individuals, to, to live for Christ, to see him as, our, as, as the center, as our foundation in life, the anchor for our souls. I pray, Lord, that, uh, that the way we witness to the world around us will be because we've been shaped by Jesus, shaped by the gospel in our lives. But I pray too, Lord, that as, as a church together corporately, Lord, we'll be displaying to the world around us what love looks like and the way that we love one another through our care for our hospitality, through our generosity to one another. I pray, Lord, that the world will see what grace and love looks like because of the grace and love that God has shown to us. I pray for that, Lord. I pray that, that as we continue to think through who we are, our identity under God, we're a spiritual house, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a chosen people, a special possession, Lord, that that will become so clear as we declare the praises of your great name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.